Chapter Twelve of John Halifax, Gentleman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. John Halifax, Gentleman by Dinah Craig. Chapter Twelve. The next day, John rode away earlier even than was his wont. I thought. He stayed but a little while talking with me. While Mrs. Todd was bustling over our breakfast, he asked her, in a grave and unconcerned manner, how Mr. March was this morning, which was the only allusion he made to the previous night's occurrences. I had a long, quiet day alone in the beechwood, close below our cottage, sitting by the little runnel, now worn to a thread with the summer weather, but singing still. It talked to me like a living thing. When I came home in the evening, Miss March stood in front of the cottage with, strange to say, her father. But I had heard that his paroxysms were often of brief continuance, and that, like most confirmed valetudinarians, when real danger stared him in the face, he put it from him and was glad to be well. Seeing me coming, Miss March whispered to him. He turned upon me a listless gaze from over his fur collar and bowed languidly, without rising from his easy chair. Yes, it was Mr. March, the very Mr. March we had met. I knew him, changed though he was, but he did not know me in the least, as, indeed, was not likely. His daughter came a step or two to meet me. You are better, I see, Mr. Fletcher. Enderley is a most healthy place as I tried to persuade my father. This is Mr. Fletcher, sir, the gentleman who was so obliging as to write to S. Blank last night for me. Allow me to thank him myself. I began to disclaim, and Miss March to explain, but we must both have been slightly incoherent, for I think the poor gentleman was never quite clear as to who it was that went for Dr. Brown. However, that mattered little, as his acknowledgments were evidently dictated more by a natural habit of courtesy than by any strong sense of service rendered. I am a very great invalid, sir. My dear, will you explain to the gentleman? And he leaned his head back wearily. My father has never recovered his ten years' residence in the West Indies. Residence? Pardon me, my dear, you forget I was governor of— Oh, yes, the climate is very trying there, Mr. Fletcher. But since he has been in England, five years only, he has been very much better. I hope he will be quite well in time. Mr. March shook his head drearily. Poor man, the world of existence to him seemed to have melted lazily down into a mere nebula, of which the forlorn nucleus was himself. What a life for any young creature, even his own daughter, to be bound to continually! I could not help remarking the strong contrast between them. He, with his sallow, delicately shaped features, the thin mouth and long straight nose, of that form I have heard called the melancholy nose, which usually indicates a feeble, pensive, and hypochondriac temperament, while his daughter—but I have described her already. "'Mr. Fletcher is an invalid, too, father,' she said, so gently that I could feel no pain in her noticing my infirmity and took gratefully a seat she gave me, beside that of Mr. March. She seemed inclined to talk to me, and her manner was perfectly easy, friendly, and kind. We spoke of commonplace subjects, near at hand, 
and of the west indian island which its late governor was apparently by no means inclined to forget i asked miss march whether she had liked it i was never there papa was obliged to leave me behind in wales poor mamma's country were you ever in wales i like it so indeed i feel as if i belonged altogether to the mountains and saying this she looked the very incarnation of the free mountain spirit a little rugged perhaps and sharply outlined but that would soften with time and was better and wholesomer than any tame green level of soft perfection at least one inclined to think so looking at her i liked miss march very much and was glad of it in retiring with her father leaning on her arm to which he hung trustingly and feebly as a child she turned abruptly and asked if she could lend me any books to read i must find the days long and dull without my friend i assented with thanks and shortly afterwards she brought me an armful of literature enough to have caused any young damsel to have been dubbed a blue in those matter-of-fact days i have no time to study much myself said she in answer to my questions but i like those who do now good evening for i must run you and your friends can have any books of ours you must not think and she turned back to tell me this that because my father said little he and i are not deeply grateful for the kindness mr halifax showed us last night it was a pleasure to john it always is to do a kind office for any one i well believe that mr fletcher and she left me when john came home i informed him of what had passed he listened though he made no comment whatever but all the evening he sat turning over miss march's books and reading either aloud or to himself fragments out of one which i had expected he would have scouted inasmuch as it was modern not classical poetry in fact a collection of lyrical ballads brought out that year by a young man named mr william wordsworth and some anonymous friend conjointly i had opened it and found therein great nonsense but john had better luck he hit upon a short poem called love by the anonymous friend which he read and i listened to almost as if it had been shakespeare it was about a girl named genevieve a little simple story everybody knows it now but it was like a strange low mystic music luring the very heart out of one's bosom to us young visionaries then i wonder if miss march knew the harm she did and the mischief that has been done among young people in all ages since caxton's days by the lending books especially books of poetry the next day john was in a curious mood dreamy lazy mild he sat poring indoors instead of roaming abroad in truth was a changed lad i told him so and laid it all to the blame of the anonymous friend who held him in such fascinated thrall that he only looked up once all the morning which was when mr and miss march went by in the afternoon he submitted lamb-like to be led down to the beechwood that the wonderful talking stream might hold forth to him as it did to me but it could not ah no it could not our lives though so close were yet as distinct as a musical living water and the motionless grey rock beside which it ran the one swept joyfully on to its appointed course the other was what heaven made it abode where heaven placed it and likewise fulfilled its end coming back out of the little wood i took john a new way i had discovered through the prettiest undulating meadow 
half field half orchard where trees loaded with ripening cider apples and green crabs made a variety among the natural foresters under one of these as we climbed the slope for field beechwood and common formed a gradual ascent we saw a vacant table laid a pretty piece of rusticity domestic arcadia on a small scale said john i should like to invite myself to tea with them who can they be probably visitors resident country folks like their meals best under a decent roof tree i should not wonder if this were not one of mr march's vagaries don't say vagaries he's an old man don't be reproachful i shall say not against him indeed i have no opportunity for there they both are coming hither from the house sure enough they were miss march helping her father across the uneven bit of common to the gate which led to the field precisely at that gate we all four met tis useless to escape them whispered i to john i do not wish why should i he answered and held the gate open for the father and daughter to go through she looked up and acknowledged him smiling i thought that smile and his courteous but far less frank response to it would have been all the greeting but no mr march's dull perceptions had somehow been brightened up he stopped mr halifax i believe john bowed they stood a moment looking at one another the tall stalwart young man so graceful and free in bearing and the old man languid sickly prematurely broken down sir said the elder and in his fixed gaze i fancied i detected something more than curiosity something of the lingering pensiveness with which years ago he had turned back to look at john as if the lad reminded him of some one he knew sir i have to thank you indeed no thanks are needed i sincerely hope you are better to-day mr march assented but john's countenance apparently interested him so much that he forgot his usual complainings my daughter tells me you are our neighbours i am happy to have such friendly ones my dear in a half audible pensive whisper to her i think your poor brother walter would have grown up extremely like mr 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 halifax papa mr halifax we are going to take tea under the trees there my daughter's suggestion she is so fond of rurality will you give us the pleasure of your company you and here i must confess the second invitation came in reply to a glance of miss march's your friend of course we assented i considerably amused and not ill-pleased to see how naturally it fell out that when john appeared in the scene i phineas subsided into the secondary character of john's friend very soon so soon that our novel position seemed like an adventure out of the arabian nights we found ourselves established under the apple-tree between whose branches the low sun stole in kissing into red chestnut colour the hair of the nut-brown maid as she sat bareheaded pouring into small white china cups a dainty luxury tea she had on not the grey-brown but a white one worked in delicate muslin a bunch of those small pinky-white roses that grew in such clusters about our parlour window nestled almost as if they were still growing in her fair maiden bosom she apologised for little jack's having stolen them from our domains for her lucky jack and received some brief and rather incoherent answer from john about being quite welcome 
he sat opposite her i by her side she had placed me there it struck me as strange that though her manner to us both was thoroughly frank and kind it was a shade more frank more kind to me than to him also i noted that while she chatted gaily with me john almost entirely confined his talk to her father but the young lady listened ay undoubtedly she listened to every word that was said i did not wonder at it when his tongue was once unloosed few people could talk better than john halifax not that he was one of your showy conversationalists language was with him neither a science an art nor an accomplishment but a mere vehicle for thought the garb always chosen as simplest and fittest in which his ideas were clothed his conversation was never wearisome since he only spoke when he had something to say and having said it in the most concise and appropriate manner that suggested itself at the time he was silent and silence is a great and rare virtue at twenty years of age we talked a good deal about wales john had been there more than once in his journeyings and this fact seemed to warm miss march's manner rather shy and reserved though it was at least to him she told us many an innocent tale of her life there of her childish days and of her dear old governess whose name i remember was cardigan she seemed to have grown up solely under that lady's charge it was not difficult to guess though i forget whether she distinctly told us so that poor mamma had died so early as to become a mere name to her orphan daughter she evidently owed everything she was to this good governess my dear at last said mr march rather testily you make rather too much of our excellent jane cardigan she is going to be married and she will not care for you now hush papa that is a secret at present pray mr halifax do you know norton berry the abruptness of the question startled john so that he only answered in a hurried affirmative indeed mr march left him no time for further explanation i hate the place my late wife's cousins the brithwoods of the mythe with whom i have had ahem, strong political differences live there and i was once nearly drowned in the severn close by papa don't speak of that please said miss march hurriedly so hurriedly that i am sure she did not notice what would otherwise have been plain enough john's sudden and violent colour but the flush died down again he never spoke a word and of course acting on his evident desire neither did i for my part continued the young lady i have no dislike to norton berry indeed i rather admired the place if i remember right you have been there though it was the simplest question john's sudden look at her and the soft inflection of his voice struck me as peculiar once when i was about twelve years old but we will talk of something papa likes better i am sure papa enjoys this lovely evening hark how the doves are cooing in the beechwood i asked her if she had ever been in the beechwood no she was quite unacquainted with its mysteries the fern glades the woodbine tangles and the stream that if you listened attentively you could hear faintly gurgling even where we sat i did not know there was a stream so near i have generally taken my walks across a flat said miss march smiling and then blushing at having done so though it was the faintest blush imaginable neither of us made any reply mr march settled himself to laziness and his armchair 
the conversation fell to the three younger persons i may say the two for i also seceded and left john master of the field it was enough for me to sit listening to him and miss march as they gradually became more friendly a circumstance natural enough under the influence of that simple solitary place where all the pretences of etiquette seemed naturally to drop away leaving nothing but the forms dictated and preserved by true manliness and true womanliness how young both looked how happy in their frank free youth with the sun rays slanting down upon them making a glory round either head and as glory often does dazzling painfully will you change seats with me miss march the sun will not reach your eyes here she declined refusing to punish any one for her convenience it would not be punishment said john so gravely that one did not recognize it for a pretty speech till it had passed and went on with their conversation in the course of it he managed so carefully and at the same time so carelessly to interpose his broad hat between the sun and her that the fiery old king went down in splendour before she noticed that she had been thus guarded and sheltered though she did not speak why should she of such a little thing yet it was one of those little things which often touch a woman more than any words miss march rose i should greatly like to hear your stream and its wonderful singing john halifax had been telling how it held forth to me during my long lonely days i wonder what it would say to me can we hear it from the bottom of this field not clearly we had better go into the wood for i knew john would like that though he was too great a hypocrite to second my proposal by a single word miss march was more single-minded or else had no reason for being the contrary she agreed to my plan with childish eagerness papa you wouldn't miss me i shall not be away five minutes then mr fletcher will you go with me and i will stay beside mr march so that he will not be left alone said john reseating himself what did the lad do that for why did he sit watching us so intently as i led miss march down the meadow and into the wood it passed my comprehension the young girl walked with me as she talked with me in perfect simplicity and frankness free from the smallest hesitation even as the women i have known have treated me all my life showing me that sisterly trust and sisterly kindness which have compensated in a measure for the solitary fate which it pleased heaven to lay upon me which in any case conscience would have forced me to lay upon myself that no woman should ever be more to me than a sister yet i watched her with pleasure this young girl as she tripped on before me noticing everything enjoying everything she talked to me a good deal too about myself in her kindly way asking what i did all day and if i were not rather dull sometimes in this solitary country lodging i'm dull occasionally myself or should be if i had time to think about it it is hard to be an only child i told her i had never found it so but then you have your friend has mr halifax any brothers or sisters none no relatives living ah a compassionate ejaculation as she pulled a woodbine spray and began twisting it with those never quite fingers of hers you and he seem to be great friends john is a brother friend everything in the world to me is he he must be very good indeed he looks so observed miss march thoughtfully and i believe 
at least i have often heard that good men are rare i had no time to enter into that momentous question when the origin of it himself appeared breaking through the bushes to join us he apologized for so doing saying mr march had sent him you surely do not mean that you come upon compulsion what an ill compliment to this lovely wood and the eyes of the nut-brown maid were a little mischievous john looked preternaturally grave as he said i trust you do not object to my coming she smiled so merrily that his slight haughtiness evaporated like mist before the sunbeams i was obliged to startle you by jumping through the bushes for i heard my own name what terrible revelations has this friend of mine been making to you miss march he spoke gaily but i fancied he looked uneasy the young lady only laughed i have a great mind not to tell you mr halifax not when i ask you he spoke so seriously that she could choose but reply mr fletcher was telling me three simple facts first that you were an orphan without relatives second that you were his dearest friend third well i never compromised truth that you were good and you the first i was ignorant of the second i had already guessed the third he gazed at her intently the third i had likewise not doubted john made some hurried acknowledgment he looked greatly pleased nay more than pleased happy he walked forward by miss march's side taking his natural place in the conversation while i as naturally as willingly fell behind but i heard all they said and joined in it now and then thus sometimes spoken to and sometimes left silent watching their two figures and idly noting their comparative heights her head came just above john's shoulder i followed these young people through the quiet wood let me say a word about that wood dear and familiar as it was it's like i have never since seen so small that in its darkest depths you might catch the sunshine lighting up the branches of its outside trees a young wood too composed wholly of smooth-barked beeches and sturdy scotch firs growing up side by side the adam and eve in this forest eden no old folk were there no gnarled and withered foresters every tree rose up upright in its youth and perfect after its kind there was as yet no choking undergrowth of vegetation nothing but mosses woodbine and ferns and between the boles of the trees you could trace vista after vista as between the slender pillars of a cathedral aisle john pointed out all this to miss march especially noticing the peculiar character of the two species of trees the masculine and feminine fir and beech she smiled at the fancy and much graceful badinage went on between them i had never before seen john in this company of women and i marvelled to perceive the refinement of his language and the poetic ideas it clothed i forgot the truth of whose saying was it that once in his life every man becomes a poet they stood by the little rivulet and he showed her how the water came from the spring above the old well-head where the cattle drank how it took its course merrily through the woods till at the bottom of the valley below it grew into a wide stream small beginnings make great endings observed miss march sententiously john answered her with the happiest smile 
he dipped his hollowed palm into the water and drank she did the same then in her free-hearted girlish fun she formed a cup out of a broad leaf which by the greatest ingenuity she managed to make contain about two teaspoonsfuls of water for the space of half a minute and held it to my mouth i am like rebecca at the well drink eliza she cried gaily john looked on i am very thirsty too said he in a low voice the young girl hesitated a moment then filled and offered to him the arcadian cup i fear he drank out of it a deeper and more subtle draught than that innocent water both became somewhat grave and stood one on either side the stream looking down upon it and letting its bubbling murmur have all the talk what it said i know not i only know that it did not could not say to those two what it said to me when we took leave of our acquaintances mr march was extremely courteous and declared our society would always be a pleasure to himself and his daughter he always says so formally my daughter i observed breaking the silence in which they had left us i wonder what her christian name is i believe it is ursula how did you find that out it is written in one of her books ursula i repeated wondering where i had heard it before a pretty name a very pretty name when john fell into this echo mood i always found it best to fall into taciturnity End of chapter 12